Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blind spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are online. All right. Once again, it's your man DM Cool with another edition of Cool Radio. Now, I know I've been gone for a minute. I've been handling some things on my end. You already know how I do, guys. But I'm not going to be giving you a regular standard episode of Cool Radio today. Don't worry. I have that in the bag. There's still a lot of things that we need to catch up on. We need to catch up on you know, Dave Chappelle being jumped by a random fan and everything that comes with that and the implications behind that. And also, I want to give you guys my review on Atlanta, the series Atlanta, season three of it to be exact. And I will hit you up with that next time around. And it's going to lead into a bigger conversation uh, beyond Atlanta and more so the state of Hollywood and television and film. But I will get to that later on. What I want to do today, however, is I want to give you guys an album review. I haven't hit you guys up with an album review in basically a year, if I'm being completely honest. Last time I reviewed an album for you guys was the offseason from J. Cole. And since then, like, there have been some good albums that came out. Like, I don't think, I mean, did I review Certified Lover Boy? I don't remember if I did. And if I did, it must have been a very short review at that. I didn't review Call Me If You Didn't Get Lost. Hell, I didn't even, I don't even think I reviewed King's Disease Part 2 from Nas. If I did, it wasn't a full in-depth review. But with this particular episode, it is definitely going to be a full in-depth review. And the album that I am choosing to review today should come to as no surprise by anyone, not only because of the timing of this pod, but also because it has to deal with my favorite artist in this current generation, which I'm sure most of my longtime listeners are very well aware of, and that is one Kendrick Lamar. And he recently released his latest album, which is entitled Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. So for Kendrick Lamar, this is his first solo album in five years. The last time we had a solo project from him was Damn, which was back in 2017. And it was also slightly around this time where he released it. I believe that was, I think it was Easter weekend or something close to that back in 2017. And then the last album overall that Kendrick Lamar was a part of that he put out was the original soundtrack for Black Panther, which was in 2018. So it's been some time since we've heard from Kendrick Lamar, maybe a few features here and there, like the record that he did with his cousin, um, Baby Keem. But it's definitely been a while since we've heard Kendrick Lamar in a large space. And I think a lot of us were kind of feeling antsy and we were clamoring for some more Kendrick material because it had been so long. I was definitely antsy as well, but I was also the mindset where if he needs to take his time or as much time as possible to give us quality content, then by all means do that. You know why? Because Kendrick Lamar 
is someone who takes his time with his project. Sometimes it may take a year, sometimes it may two, take two or three, give or take. But what we can always expect from Kendrick Lamar is quality projects. I mean, he is so far four for four when it comes to albums, when it comes to Section 80, Good Kid Mad City, Two Pimp a Butterfly, and Damn. And all four albums have at the very least been in the conversation or in the realm of classic and not just a cult classic, but a classic within within hip hop. And even if you go back to an album like Damn, for example, it's the only album out of the genres of classical and jazz that received a Pulitzer Prize. Okay, a Pulitzer. I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a Pulitzer than a Grammy, especially when you take into consideration that an album that isn't within the realm of jazz or classical is receiving one, which means that you're the only album in the majority of genres of music that has received such a claim, which is insane. But anyways, I digress. Let's talk about Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And let's see if you guys felt the same way that I felt about this album. So coming into this album, I didn't know what to expect. What I did know is that I wanted to hear what he's been up to during the last five years. I really wanted to know where his head was at, where he was with his personal life, his opinions on the state of music or pop culture, what he thought about the pandemic, uh, PC culture as well. I, I just wanted to hear it all or as much as I possibly could. And I felt like I got a lot of that on this album. On this album, he did detail aspects of his personal life that we didn't even know. And it's interesting because you think that you know an artist until they say something that has us like, whoa, I did not know that. And there are plenty of moments like that on the album. He gave us his details on PC culture. He gave us his details on what he's been up to overall during the last five years. And upon first listen, I guess I should say upon first reaction, I was like, man, this is a very, very vulnerable album. I think this is his most vulnerable effort since To Pimp a Butterfly. Dan had some vulnerable moments as well. But I always thought to Pimp a Butterfly was definitely his most vulnerable. I think this kind of blows it out of the water in terms of vulnerability because there are certain things that he talks about, which we'll obviously get to. But there are certain things that he talks about about himself within this album to the point where I'm not so sure that five years ago, at the very least, that this would have been socially acceptable or it, or if it would have been career suicide for him as a rapper specifically to talk about these types of things. And I think because of the fact that he did, it definitely sparks a greater conversation, which adds to the longevity or the future longevity, I should say, of this specific album. And I think, you know, upon reaction, just first reaction of my first listen to this record, that it still holds up as being a part of his discography, as being, you know, a potential classic. I'm not going to say it's an instant classic right off the rip, but I feel like if you give this album more time, six months to a year, 
a year to two years, for example, we are going to be having that conversation. But it's definitely a strong and stellar album, to say the least. Now, let me break down the album track by track, just so you guys have my my opinions on this album, you know, in, in full unison. So he starts off with the album with the title, or sorry, with a with a record called "United in Grief." So, within within this project, or sorry, within the song, he's talking about, or he's asking rather, rhetorical questions about how rappers and and people within the rap industry portray themselves, and how he kind of felt conflicted that he got caught up in that mix. So, how much ice do you wear? How many cars do you own? How many women have you slept with, et cetera, et cetera. He really goes into that, and it's almost like he's having a dissertation with himself as opposed to you know the entire industry as a whole. And some people may take it as such, but I feel like it's a combination of both. But I feel like it's more intrinsically about himself and him having to come to grips with those things that rappers and rap culture, and not only rap culture, but if be completely honest, what black culture in North America has kind of coveted as far as the material wealth and items and stuff like that. And going into, you know, what it means to personify black excellence. So that's what I got, you know, upon listening to that record. So I felt it was a really good way to open up the album. And it basically set the tone and the foundation for what this album as a whole was going to be about, which was about self-reflection. And it's not to say that, uh, that, other albums that he's done or albums in general aren't about self-reflection but we're about to go into a very very deep dive into his own self-reflection about what he's been going through over the last five years but also throughout his career as a whole as far as his opinion on celebrity status and and the culture of rap and and what it breeds and things of that nature so i thought it was a really good way to open up the album then we go into n95 so this album was basically talking about stripping off the material and looking at a person for who they are. And he basically stated that sometimes when you strip away all the material wealth, you strip away the Instagram filters and the social media likes and the followers that you have, sometimes it reveals very ugly character. And he's not wrong with that because... We've seen throughout this era and this generation, for as long as we've had social media as what we currently know it to be, that there are a lot of people who act fraudulent. And they act fraudulent because they are putting on a persona that doesn't match who they really are. Or sometimes they put on a persona that actually brings out the worst in them. But because of the fact that they feel validated with the amount of followers that they have or the amount of hits that they have on their social media channels, um, or the fact that they feel as though they're adored because they look a certain way or have certain material things within their possession that many people covet. I think what Kendrick did was by putting a disclaimer saying, if I, if I take all of this away from you, then what do you really have? I think it really speaks to society and culture about how damaging that vanity can be if you don't put you know a check on it. And I think this track was a reflection of that. So I really like the fact that Kendrick was really challenging the status quo uh, when, when it came to that particular factor. And I do I do like the production on it as well. It had a lot of there's a lot of trap inspired 
influences on here with some horns and everything like that. I thought it was really cool. It it was really it was really a good way to grab the listener's attention upon the first rip, and it's one of the earlier songs on the album, so you may as well get their attention early while you still can. So going on or moving on now, and by the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned if I mentioned this uh, ahead of time, but this is a double disc slash double sided album, so nine or nine tracks on each side so side a side b disc one disc two however you want to categorize it as but anyways i digress so let's move on to worldwide stepper that's the third track on side one and this one actually features kodak black and kodak black is featured pretty heavily on this album especially on side one now me personally i'm not the biggest kodak black fan by any stretch of the imagination not really a fan of him at all Kind of think he's a dirtbag, and I think he's trash. And as a rapper, I'm not crazy about him either. With that said, however, I think he does make the most out of his guest appearances on this album. And I think he did a pretty decent job of doing that on on the record Worldwide Stepper, where he basically did the intro, but in spoken word format. So I thought that was pretty interesting coming from someone like Kodak Black and I'm not gonna you know mince any words about it like I don't really think that highly of him as a rapper as far as his skill set is concerned so him switching it up to a spoken word format and kind of breaking down the content that he was speaking on I thought was interesting I thought it was an interesting change of pace um I'm not sure if he himself wrote all that maybe he did maybe he didn't but it was delivered well at the very least um and then going into the rest of the record when Kendrick steps on it uh, he speaks on his own insecurities on a lot of things, but a lot of those things, or most of those things on that record included having sex with white women. And it's interesting because he felt as though he was a contradiction or or he felt as though he was disrespecting his black ancestors by sleeping with white women. And I find that interesting because there's always been this narrative and I don't want to deviate too far away from the rest of the uh, of the uh, album review, but there's always been this narrative, a double standard na- narrative, if I may say so myself, that you know if a black man sleeps with a white woman, then he's disrespecting the entire black race. He's disrespecting his mother, his sister, his cousins, and every strong black female in his family, and all across the board. But then, if a black woman sleeps with a white man, then it's seen as, as an accomplishment, or or it's seen as some sort of some form of retribution. And in reality, there shouldn't be any type of judgment passed on to any black man or black woman if they choose to mate with somebody outside the race, whether it's it's a hookup or if it leads into a relationship or whatever the case may be. Like, if they if they want to be with somebody who's of a different race, allow them. And there shouldn't be some sort of condemnation or condemnation or any type of shame put onto uh sleeping with somebody outside your race now i can understand if he was in the position of a of what's this guy's name uh of a quote-unquote doctor because i don't believe this person's a doctor but dr umar johnson and he has been pro, pro, proclaiming his hatred for the white devil, and then all of a sudden you go sleep with somebody who's white, then I can understand why you feel conflicted in that regard. But if you've never harbored those feelings, then why have those feelings, right? Like, why why have that feeling of guilt? And I feel like it, it just speaks to the culture, uh, like black American culture, for example, as far as, you know, the, the racism and the divide and the segregation and what have you. So I found that it was very interesting that he spoke on that. And then in general, he also spoke about uh, the hypocrisies and contradictions of people 
who swear by the PC culture and who are always politically correct and what have you. And I'm very happy that he spoke on that because of the fact that a lot of people who preach about being PC and stuff like that are often the ones who contradict themselves heavily the most. And I feel like a lot of those people who speak on PC culture as far as upholding the standards of being politically correct only do it when it's within their best interest and they only do it on a performative basis. So they'll speak all that good stuff that a lot of people who subscribe to that culture want to hear because it makes them feel better. But behind closed doors, they will say things that go against PC culture. And so what do you do at that point, right? And we've seen that already with 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 the litany of so many people who are going through their own fair problems and shit and controversies themselves as well. I mean, you look at <laughs> you, you look at the 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 Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial that's happening right now, which I will speak on on a later show. But you know, you you look at the way that Amber is using PC culture uh, to try and sway the narrative, or or she tried to at the very least. But then you see how that backfired on her once all the receipts came out. But that's just a minor example, and trust me, we'll get to that on the later show. But I digress. Um, I thought this record was good. I thought it was a big, you know, middle finger to to people who want to live within their hypocrisies. And I thought it was interesting that Kendrick had that perspective on when he had his relations with white women. So that was interesting to hear. Now, let's go to the next track called Die Hard. Uh, so Die Hard. Now, Die Hard is very interesting because it acts to a prelude to a few other records that we're going to hear later on, particularly on side B. And Die Hard is him opening about his past traumas in general. Nothing specific. We'll get to the specifics later. But he's just opening about, you know, him experiencing his past traumas. Um, and on top of that, not only his past traumas, but basically he doesn't want any of his future loved ones or anyone that he does love to judge him for said traumas. He's actually looking for acceptance and he doesn't want anyone to judge him for that and just to accept him for his flaws and all. And I think it's a very telling record that a lot of people really need to listen to because we all have our traumas and, and our insecurities and our inner demons that we are trying to fight on a regular basis that we are trying to get past. And there are other people out there who may judge somebody for having those. Um, not realizing that they themselves are probably have them. And I think what this song is, is saying is that, you know, I may have my traumas, but I'm still getting I'm uh, still getting better and I'm still trying to improve myself as an individual. And I only hope that you have enough patience for me to accept me while I'm on that journey. So I thought it was very open. I thought it was very telling. And it didn't sound as though that he was looking for any kind of an excuse or anything like that because if there is one thing that i do notice about some people is that if they do have past traumas then what they'll do as i don't even know if i would call this as a coping mechanism or some form of escapism but they'll try and dump their traumas onto somebody else and say that they're the reason to blame for what they're going through or that it's their responsibility to fix what they're going through. When in reality, all you're doing is dumping your problems on somebody else. And you're not looking for any conducive way 
to unpack that baggage. And I think Kendrick did a good job of trying to unpack that baggage on, on this record. Not everything, of course, like we didn't hear anything specific, but I think it was just a general conversation of him saying, listen, work with me, help me out, and I will do better. And I think that's the, the right approach to take outside of blaming somebody for stuff that they're not only not responsible for, but but things that were around way before they themselves were. So I think it was really candid of him to kind of go into that. And I think it was a, an important message to be to be shared because, again, there are some people who just try to dump their problems on everyone instead of taking responsibility and accountability for their own actions and trying to solve it themselves. So I thought that was really cool from him. Now, we have a record called Father Time. And on Father Time, it was interesting because it starts off with a skit between him and his wife. And his wife is saying to him that he needs therapy. So it kind of sets the stage for what we're going to hear on this particular song, but also throughout the rest of the album. And on this song, he talks about the poor, righteous teachings that his father passed on to him about how to be a man. And unfortunately... You know, within within masculinity, especially when it comes to black masculinity, we are taught on a wide scale to hide our emotions. Or if we don't hide our emotions, actually, actually, you know what? Let me let me let me take that back. Actually, for a minute, not to hide our emotions in general, but to hide the emotions that present us as quote unquote weak. So hide the emotions of joy, hide the emotions of sadness and pain and empathy. To hide all of that because those are seen as overly sensitive and therefore if they're sensitive then they must be female traits so he's talking about how he grew up through that uh by way of his father and so anytime he was sad or or he was feeling lonely or whatever the case may be he was told to basically button up like like chest out chin up be a man you know don't don't confide or or look for or for some sort of uh consoling or anything like that and again, those are things that are being taught to young men at an, at an early age, especially when it comes to black men. And he pointed that out. And again, it's one of those things that, that, that needed to be said. And instead, what, what a lot of these young black kids are doing is that they end up suppressing those emotions and they filter, the, filter them out through anger, which then presents the stereotype of a black man being uh, hyper-violent or hyper-masculine or whatever the case may be. So that's something that he addressed. And that's been a topic of conversation in recent years and it's good that we're having that conversation but i also find that there are contradictions with that conversation as well and it's interesting when i hear some let's say the word some but it's interesting when i hear some black women talk about this with regards to black men about you know being more open and 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 being more vulnerable which is what you want rightfully so but then some Again, saying the word, some black women also prefer their their men to be the black male stereotype, which is hyper-masculine, hyper-violent, hypersexual. So you can't have both at the same time. Like you like you say you want the man to be sensitive, you want you want the man to be open and vulnerable, but then you say you want all that stuff at the same time. No, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. So um, it's just interesting that that, that there's some Again, I'm saying that word for the third time or fourth now, but some women who who think like that, but then they also want the sensitive side as well. And it's, no, you just can't do that. So I really thought that it was really good that he he brought that up and he he you know exposed that story as well. And it's something that we did not really know at full nauseum 
uh, when it came to the relationship between him and his father. But it's not surprising that he went through that because a lot of young black males, especially if you grow up in lower income neighborhoods, go through that same struggle as well. And then he also pointed out that he salutes all the, the young men who grew up without their fathers and, and try to find a way to figure it out on their own as well. So there is that record. And I, and I thought it was an important record to, to discuss. Now we have the record Rich, and this one is more of an interlude. And it's another spoken word interlude from Kodak Black once again. And he talks about the glorification of money and how the street life normalized it. And he basically talked about the pimps and the hustlers that he grew up with in his neighborhoods and how they glorified, you know, the ice and the diamonds and the chains and how that meant wealth and it meant power in his communities. And it's nothing we haven't heard before in rap, but it was interesting the way that he broke it down. So, again, it's another thing where I'm not the biggest fan of Kodak Black as far as a, as far as a recording artist goes. But the way he, he broke it down, I was like, all right, this is an interesting perspective. So I took it as that. And then it leads into the record uh, entitled A Rich Spirit. And with this record, it seemed like Kendrick was trying to find the internal balance of maintaining who he is out of, as a person without being compromised or corrupted by the fame and presenting a false image that comes with said fame. So very similar to an earlier track that he did on, on this album about calling out the contradictions and about calling out the fake personas that a lot of people who are in an influencing position will typically have, I feel like he, he did a very a similar thing on this record as well. So I really did appreciate that. And then, oh boy, boy, oh boy, we got into the record called Cry Together. Oh my God. This, oh my God. This, this is easily going to be the record that's going to have people talking and there's going to be a whole lot of conjecture and a lot of it's your fault, no, it's your fault, candor being passed around. Because this record, and I'm not sure who the featured uh, artist is on here, but this record features a, I don't know if it's a singer or a rapper, if I'm being completely honest. But basically, this record is a back and forth between, oh, there we go. Sorry, I'm just looking at the uh, the artist on here. She goes by the name of Taylor Page. But anyways, it's a back and forth between Kendrick Lamar and Taylor Page, and they are talking about toxic black relationships let's just be honest like they're talking about toxic broken down uh dysfunctional erratic black relationships between black men and black women on a romantic level or non-romantic if i'm being completely honest this felt like i was watching baby boy with tyrese and taraji p henson and all I could hear in my head was, Jody, Jody, you ain't shit, Jody. I hate your ass. Like, that's literally what was going through my mind when I was listening to this record. And it felt like that. And it was interesting because this record was very conversational between Kendrick and Taylor. And, you know, despite the rhetoric and all the things that were being said and what have you, I actually did like the format of this song and I do like it when songs kind of have a type of format where it's very conversational and it's, you're almost listening to a monologue of sorts between two artists so I really did appreciate that aspect of it in, in, a, in a theater of it in that regard um, as far as the content goes I mean this is content we've been hearing for however many years between black men and black women like on a public forum from like 
the 90s and onward with the gangster culture and then the hood culture and stuff like that. And they're basically just talking about why they hate one another. You know, I hate you for making me feel like this or I hate you for cheating on my cousin. I hate you for wanting to cheat on my cousin. I hate, I hate the fact that your mom hates me and um, you just want to use me for money. You just want to use me for status. That's basically in a nutshell what the song was about. And then they kind of splinter off into talking about why you're the reason why women are like this or you're the reason why men are like this. And it, it, it was a little much. It was a little much, if, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I definitely got where they're coming from because, more importantly, it speaks to a lot of the rhetoric that you've been hearing, I would say, over the last couple of years with regards to high-value man and modern woman and what do you bring to the table and what's a man's role in the relationship and what's a woman's role in the relationship. And quite frankly, it feels like black people are the only people who are having this conversation if we're talking about a North American standpoint. I know worldwide, globally, it's a little bit different. There are some countries that are still backwards in the Stone Ages, but like in North America, from a North American context, Black people as a whole are still the only people who are having this conversation. You know, like whether it's, you know, the Steve Harveys or the Derek Jacksons or the Kevin Samuels of the world, rest in peace, by the way, uh, you still see people having these conversations, these mundane, drawn out conversations about what men and women are supposed to be doing in the relationship and stuff like that. And I felt like this track was basically addressing that larger conversation. So, I like the song for that as a song itself. I do like the theater of it and what have you, like I was mentioning before. As far as the content goes, I'm kind of over it. I'm very over it, in fact. So overall, I like the song, just the content. Uh, I, I can't be bothered with it. It's in my personal opinion, if I'm being completely honest with, with everyone listening right now, the dynamics between black men and black women as a whole is not my problem. It just isn't. So good song overall, just don't really care for the content. Um, and then we move on to the final record of side one, I guess you could call it, uh, which is called Purple Hearts, and it features it features Summer Walker, and I believe it features Ghostface Killer. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Ghostface Killer. Uh, at first, I thought was that uh, Action Bronson, but I think it's Ghostface Killer. And if I'm wrong on that, please correct me. But it was a good song. I really like that song. It's one of my favorite records on the album, if I'm being completely honest. And I'm thankful that I didn't hear the typical hood shit from, from Summer Walker on this on this record either. She can save that for her own stuff. Um, but I do like that record a lot. And the record is basically talking about loving people unconditionally for who they are as opposed to what their social value is. And it really rings home that you know, love should be unconditionally. It shouldn't have to come with conditions. Like, I'll love you if you buy me a house or I'll love you if you you put on makeup all the time. You know what I mean? Like, it, it really came down to loving somebody for who they are as a person and accepting them flaws and everything like that and working with said person to make the relationship better. So I really did enjoy that uh, message behind the song. And... And as a whole, you know, the production was solid. Ghostface had a very solid verse on there. Uh, but yeah, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. And before I go into side two of the album, uh, let me just say that the production up until this point has been very solid. And it's a very, I think, for the most part, it had a very, it has a very 
somber and melodic pace to it there are some records that have like a hard a hard drum or a hard bass to kind of emphasize the emotions surrounded with the record as well so i really do like that the beats are also helping tell the story or to explain the narrative that kendrick is uh projecting onto this project so yeah i, I like the production a lot um i go back to the record we cry together with him and and uh taylor and they're having that negative conversation but i do like the beat of it like the piano keys for example were very dreary very dreary and it, it gave me flashes of new york state of mind part two from nas off of his i am album it gave me those types of vibes uh, and then i did like the beat for purple hearts which had heavy uh bass drums and the, the piano keys that were accompanying it i really like that as well but anyways just want to get my little nerd box in there when it comes to the production. Now, let's go to side two of the album, all right? So side two, it starts off with a record called Count Me Out. And Count Me Out is basically about being at your lowest point and using it as motivation to succeed. So no one can get mad at you know a record, any record in general, that talks about overcoming the odds. And I think this is what Kendrick was projecting on this record sometimes it may have sounded a bit spiteful like he wanted to be successful in spite of the people who counted him out and hey if you want to use that as motivation and that helps that's fine but i think it's also important to remember that you don't get caught up in the in the anger or the bitterness of the ones who said that you weren't going to make it or that you weren't going to be successful in anything that you did so it's, it's more important to focus on the journey and and the fact that you actually did succeed and that you're and that you're aiming to level up another notch or another two notches uh but i think i think kendrick did a pretty good job of explaining that on the record so i really did like that and then we get into crown uh, so crown is a spoken word piece that he did uh kendrick and he talks about how many people treat love as it is conditional as opposed to the record that he did with summer walker and ghostface how it's important to love people unconditionally but he's speaking from his standpoint that a lot of people were giving him conditional love and the moment he wasn't able to do something for him then they would call him a liar or a backstabber or that they never or that he never had their back or whatever the case may be so he really dived into that and I really love the fact that when it came to the production, the, the beat was a combination of depressing piano keys, as I call them, and very eerie harmonies that he was echoing throughout the uh, throughout the record within the ad libs and stuff like that. So it was really telling that he felt as though people thought that he didn't care for them just because he wasn't able to help them out in a timely fashion or because of the way that he couldn't help them out in the way that they wanted him to help them. And you get that a lot in any corner of life that you're in. But I guess because, you know, when it comes to you being a celebrity and making so much money, or if people know that you make a lot of money in general and they want you to help them out with everything and you just can't, you're not able to, then they're going to look at you and say that you're a backstabber or you're a traitor. And that's something that Kendrick is basically stating that he went through a lot of during maybe this five-year gap or just throughout the entire time that he has blown up into a megastar within music. So it's very interesting that he uh, decided to share that story with us. And then we get into a record like uh, Silent Hill, for example. Uh, so Silent Hill, generally speaking, is about keeping people with negative energy and intentions away. 
uh, from him and just wanted to to just distance himself from that kind of nature and energy. And Kodak Black is on this record once again. I think this is probably the only record he's on on this side of the of the album, so side two. Um, not a bad record. It's not one of the more memorable records, if I'm being completely honest. But it doesn't make it a bad record either. It's just not one that I would kind of like put like a, a pin or a star on and be like, okay, I got to listen to that one again. It could be more of like a vibe thing. You know, I may have to be in the mood to, to listen to that record. Uh, but it's a good one overall. Just not one that I would pin and be like, yeah, I got to go back to that. But it was all right, though. I, I, I dug it. Uh, so Savior was interesting. So Savior is um, partly done with a spoken word interlude from Baby Keem, which is his cousin. And he was basically talking about looking at how earning an extreme amount of money changes your perception on life and the people around you. So that was from Baby Keen's perspective. And then the second half of the song was about Kendrick and shows you that you shouldn't look at artists or celebrities as your saviors. This one, the, that verse from Kendrick, I, I echo wholeheartedly. Because if you're looking at them as your idols or as people that you should look up to, or you you want to memorize you know their patterns beat for beat. The minute they slip up, you're going to look at them as a disappointment when realizing that hey they are human just like you are. And you know what? I'll be completely transparent uh, about myself. For example, um, I have always been someone who has looked at Will Smith, for example, as you know someone someone I somewhat idolized, but someone that I was always proud of because of the fact that he didn't cater to the stereotypes of black culture within america like he kind of was the antithesis behind that but as you guys heard you know on my last pod i was extremely disappointed in the way that he handled himself by slapping another grown man another grown black man in the face at that on national television in front of millions of people across the world because his manhood was compromised by his wife and he was afraid to basically stand up to his wife on that and to me it's like now you have the validation of the people who didn't give a shit about you and, and and now you feel more comfortable. And so I again like you guys can listen to that pod, uh listen back to that pod, and you can hear the disappointment in my voice as I'm talking about it. But I think this song does do a good job of reminding people that celebrities are human as well and they will make mistakes and errors and that you shouldn't look to them as a beacon of hope all the time or look at them as the status or personification of perfection so that's the vibe that i got from that record um he also talks about pc culture once again and shared his thoughts on covid and even fired somewhat of a shot at Kyrie irving um when he was talking about covid and how after he himself kendrick caught covid it made him look at Kyrie irving a bit differently with regards to maybe some of the sentiments that Kyrie had about the vaccine and stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting that he he shared his take on that. And I think he also just kind of kind of mentioned why he's been out of the public eye for so long for the last few years. And it was mainly just so he could have more peace of mind, more time for himself, more time for family. And that's totally fine. I mean, he's not hurting for money or anything like that. Like he's a millionaire at the very least. So he can use all that time to take care of his family and have fun with his family. I mean, he produced two children during that time as far as we know anyway. So why not? And then we get into Auntie Diaries, and I think this is the portion of the album where things really start to get deep and emotional and very uh, very telling. 
So Auntie Diaries is a song about him talking about how his aunt is now a man. So his aunt is has become a transgendered male. And he was talking about the relationship that he's had with his aunt before and after her transition or his transition, I should say. And while he's talking about, you know, his relationship uh, with him, he also talks about how the word, the F word, you know, within that's used as a as a gay slur uh, was used heavily and normalized as he was growing up. While whether it was in the music or whether it was amongst friends or what have you, it was heavily normalized while he was growing up. So we're going to stick a pin on that for a moment, because as we go into the song, he also talks about how he was inspired by his aunt to rap when she, when he witnessed her as the first person that he ever saw write a rhyme. So his aunt was was his inspiration to start rapping, which I found very interesting, actually. Because we always heard about, you know, him having a dream about Tupac saying, you know, you're going to be the next one and stuff like that. So I figured that was the inspiration. But it turns out it was his it was his aunt who is now his uncle, I guess. So I thought that was pretty interesting. He also mentioned about how his cousin Demetrius has now transitioned into a woman. Now, unlike the relationship that he has with his now uncle, uh, his cousin, their relationship was a bit fractured. Uh, after he transitioned into a woman and they didn't really talk for that long but then i guess somewhere down the line they're they're able to uh reconcile and reconnect and and they eventually grew cool uh grew close again so i thought that was very telling that he was willing to share these stories and i thought it was very telling that um i assume at least that he was able to get the permission from both parties to share these stories as well because they're very personal stories and going back to his sentiments on the f-word slur uh he talked about his own contradiction um with you know racial slurs and what have you because he then went into a story about how he was having a conversation with somebody about that word but also about him feeling angry at the fact that a white girl said nigga on stage and I believe he was pointing out to, and it's funny because I actually did a story about this on Cool Radio four years ago, but he was talking about how a white girl that he brought up on stage said the word nigga. Now, back then, when I was covering the story, I said, of course, as a white person, you should be saying the word nigga. But at the same time, Kendrick, the L is kind of on you as well, because out of all the songs you chose for that white girl to sing on stage, you chose Mad City where the word nigga is said, like, at least four times. So, like, what were you expecting? Like, you expect this girl to have, you know, uh, her composure intact where, when there's, like, 80,000 people rocking out and she's the center of attention at that moment? You basically set that little girl up to fail. So, while on one end, as a white person, as a non-black person, you can't say the word nigga, on the other hand, what the hell did you expect was going to happen, right? So, you can't even get mad at that knowing that you were in control of that moment. So, I didn't give Kendrick Lamar the wanks of the week for that. I think there was another one, but anyways, that's besides the point. Um, so anyways, he talks about that, and I found that it was very interesting that he did talk about that. And he said how it was a touching or uh, a teachy, teachable moment for him to say that if we do say, if we do think of ourselves as equals, then either we both can say the word towards one another and normalize it or not say the word at all to either person. 
So I thought it was interesting that he had that standpoint come the end of the record. But anyways, I like that record overall. It's uh, one of the better storytelling records that I've heard from him in a long time and probably one of his best. And then we go into Mr. Morale, which goes deeper into that hole. Um, he's basically saying how he's confronting his demons and sheds light on the fact that there are other rappers who cover up their past trauma with material wealth and, and bravado. And the song, it's, it's a very powerful and movie song, but I feel like this song acts like a setup or like a calm before the storm, if you will, uh, with regards to the song that does come up next. But overall, I, I do like the song. It's, it's, I even I don't I wouldn't even call it like an expose or anything like that. I I think it's it's him having a truth telling moment. It's not like he's saying how Kodak Black is one of these rappers who goes through that, and so is Tyga, and so is Drake. Like he's not saying any of that at all. He's not being a chatty patty. He's just letting you know that a lot of these rappers who talk about oh I got all this ice, I got all these jewels, I got all these bitches. It's just a cover up to 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 mask all all their past trauma, and he goes into that at nauseum on himself primarily but then sheds light on it with other rappers too in general not naming any names on this next record which is entitled mother i sober now before i go into the minutiae of this record let me just say this and let me just be candid with this record uh right here real quick this has to be one of the most gut-wrenching records i have ever heard in my life let me reiterate, one of the most gut-wrenching records I've ever heard in my life. It is not often that you hear rappers be so vulnerable. And we've heard vulnerability with a lot of rappers. We've heard it with DMX. We've heard it with Tupac. We've heard it with, with Nas. We've heard it from a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. But to this extent, and to the point where it could almost it could almost be considered career suicide. Like this is a type of record that an A and R executive would say, "No, you cannot put this on the album. We are shelving this. If you do this, your career will be ruined." The amount of candor that I've heard on that I heard on this record, I don't think I've heard from any rapper before. Like I've often said that someone like J. Cole, for example, is probably the most relatable rapper that you've ever heard. I've often said that Childish Gambino is probably one of the most vulnerable rappers that you've ever heard. Talking about things that you've never really heard talk about a rapper say before. But this record right here, I'm just saying for myself personally, I'm not going to put it on a list or whatever or, or in the pantheon of anything. But this is the most gut-wrenching and most vulnerable record that I've ever heard in a rapper. Hands down, it's not even close. I've never heard such vulnerability being displayed on here and such honesty on top of that. And it was hard to listen to a second time. The second time I listened to this record was maybe like an hour before I did this pod. The first time I listened to this record, I, I was going for a walk around my neighborhood and then he said certain things that, that caught my attention. I was like, whoa, okay, I gotta, I gotta listen to this. I, 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 gotta, I gotta listen to this. That being said, he talks about being molested by his cousin when he was five years old. I've never heard any rapper talk about being molested before. I've heard rappers make punchlines about it. 
I've heard rappers saying how they know killers or they know dudes who've been in the bin who will take you and molest you and, and kill you after in some bravado way. But I've never heard a rapper, male or female, expose the fact that they themselves were, were molested when they were a child. And not only did he expose the fact that he was molested, but he kept it a secret from the family because he didn't want to see the family broken and torn apart over it. That is a heavy burden to carry. And he, and in the record, he said he was questioned about it multiple times by his mother and by other people in the family. But he kept it a secret because he didn't want to see the family torn apart. I mean, most people would probably say fuck the family at that point. But he cared about family so much that he didn't want to see the family broken up because of that. And even in some psychological breakdown, asked himself if it was his fault that he got molested. That is insane. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way towards Kendrick, but like just the thought of that to, to, to blame yourself. For, for for being a victim of, of, of an act that you did not deserve or anyone for that matter deserves is absolutely ludicrous. Man. So not only that, but his insecurities, I mean, it led to insecurities into his adulthood about wanting to have sex with X amount of women and stuff like that and wanting to uh, have you know, the, the, the money and the chains and stuff like that. Things that he was referencing to earlier in the album, which led to this moment right here. And again, it goes back to Kendrick's superb form of storytelling or his superb uh, ability to storytell. And it led to this crescendo of a moment right here within the song. So we talked about his insecurities about, about his compromised, you know, manhood, so to speak. And led to him, you know, sleeping with so many women, which then led to him cheating on his wife. And then it was also revealed to him that his wife was also sexually compromised when she was younger. So now we go from, you know, past trauma to now what can be seen as generational trauma because they now have ch uh, children together and they don't want to have that same generational trauma trickle down to their children. So this is probably around the time when he said that his wife said that he needed therapy to, you know, not necessarily right these wrongs, but to challenge those demons and to master those demons and to not let them get the best of him. And on top of that, he reveals that generational trauma is something that's very prevalent within the black community, especially within, you know, the black community within the West. I can't say what the trauma is like for people on continental Africa or people who are in the Caribbean or people who are in other diasporas around the world. But if you look at, you know, black people within North America, it's very prevalent. And sometimes a lot of these black parents negligently pass it down to their kids because they're either too lazy to deal with it or they're in denial of what's going on and they just see it as something being normal. So when you hear about some black people saying how, for example, black love is supposed to be painful. It's supposed to hurt. No, the fuck it is supposed to not. It's not supposed to hurt at all. 
They're going to have challenging moments with their partner, but it's not supposed to hurt to the point where you feel broken, you feel downtrodden, and you feel like you're, you're worth next to nothing. No. That is the normalization of quote-unquote black love due to the fact that neither person is willing to confront their generational trauma. And then they pass it down to the kids, and then they wonder why their kids are acting up and, and they're doing a whole bunch of fuck shit left, right, down, front, and center. It's because you didn't confront the, the issues that you had as a child or as a younger person growing up. And so what Kendrick is doing is that he's confronting this record live on a record. And I give full props to him on that. He talks about that. He talks about how there's a lot of rappers that we may know and love who cover up their their past trauma with tattoos and liquor and drugs and and plentiful amounts of women that that they have as a harem. He was not afraid to bear all on this record and for that it gives me a newfound level of respect for Kendrick that I didn't already have. Like of course like I've said many times that Kendrick is one of my favorite rappers. Uh, in uh, in the game and just probably the best one of this generation but this is one of those moments where I said at the, at the beginning of the pod where you you feel like you know someone as far as an artist goes as far as what they've shared you feel like you've known someone until they give you at least another few more stories and it makes you open your eyes and say oh I didn't know about that and I've been listening to Kendrick and I'm sure a lot of people have for well over a decade now and no one outside his camp or loved ones or whomever you're talking about knew about something like that. And then it leads me to ask, are there going to be more rappers in the future who are going to come out and share something that vulnerable on the record? I mean, we've got that from Kendrick. We've had that from Childish Gambino. We've had that from Tyler, the creator, you know, confronting, you know, his, you know, bisexuality and what have you. Is there going to be more of this in the future? I mean, we've had logic, you know, come out and and and, and bear all, but then for whatever reason, people clowned him for that stuff. So I, I still think rap has a lot more work to do in that department. But I give props and full respect to Kendrick Lamar for for being brave enough to have this 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 heightened level of transparency. And then it all leads into the ending of the of the album, which is entitled Mirror. And Mir, from what I got from it, is all about looking out for yourself. And it may come across as selfish, but I think what Kendrick was was trying to allude to was about having self-preservation, making sure that he doesn't lose sight of himself or his goals or anything like that that benefits him and his family. And he was kind of, you know, facetiously saying, I'm sorry. But I think it's important that we all have to look out for ourselves to a certain extent because no one's going to look out for ourselves except ourselves. And it kind of speaks back to the records that he had on the album where he was talking about how people, you know, said that he was fake or phony because he couldn't help them out at that particular situation at time when it came to having conditional love. So I think this kind of speaks back to that. And it's a great album close, in my personal opinion, as well. And I think it might for now, at least it'll probably be my favorite song on the album. So overall, this is another debatable classic album from Kendrick Lamar, in my opinion. Uh, he has not slipped up. He has never given us 
a bad album. He's never even given us an okay album. I don't even know if he's just given us a quote-unquote good album at bare minimum. I don't know. I don't know. But he has always definitely given us food for thought. And he has given us a lot of things to pontificate upon. And a lot of things that could potentially change the status quo uh, of rap as we know it. So overall, if I had to give a rating on this album, my cool ratings, if you will, I am going to give this album, I'm going to give this album nine cools out of 10. So a nine out of 10 for me. And the only reason why I'm not giving it a perfect score there's a, I just have a few nitpicks here and there. Like, again, I, I spoke on how the one record that he had with, um, with, uh, uh, what's his name? Kodak Black, Silent Hill. It didn't really stand out to me that much. It's something that I've already heard before as far as the subject matter. And the beat was decent as well, but it's not something that, it, that had a lot of staying power with me for the time being, at least. And as far as the record with, um, with that, with the, Artist named Taylor. I think it was uh, We Cry Together. Just the content of it, I didn't care for because it just deals with black male and female stereotypes that I just don't have the time and patience for anymore. I do, again, I did say that I do love the theater aspect of it, the way it was constructed, but just the subject matter and the content, I, I that's something that I can't deal with anymore, to be honest. So I took I kind of took points away from him on that, and I kind of feel bad because again, he's sharing his experience, but. Again, it's just something that I won't be going back for going forward. Uh, but other than that, this album was was solid as a brick. Um, the, the subject matter, for the most part, was solid. His transparency is none that I have seen before on an entire album. Uh, the, the production was pretty solid. Production, I can never go wrong with Kendrick. Maybe one or two songs where I'm like, eh, this beat doesn't really do it for me, but... Again, his his production style, as far as who he reaches out to and the ear that he has for music and what matches the tone that he's trying to go for and the musicality, I thought it was all there for me. So he is definitely winning on that front. And with yet another strong, solid performance that he put on, as far as an album goes, in terms of his abilities as a rapper and the longevity that he's had up until this point being relevant in the game for 11 years now a conversation needs to be had about Kendrick Lamar with regards to where he ranks in the all-time rankings list when it comes to rap music and if I'm being perfectly honest and candid about what I'm about to say I would love to hear your reactions towards that but in my personal opinion with this added to his resume now Kendrick Lamar Duckworth giving him this full government name, deserves to be mentioned at the very least, at the very least, within the top 15. So that's 1-5. He deserves to be in the top 15 greatest rappers of all time list. Let me reiterate that one more time to make sure that I do not stutter or stumble on my words or have some sort of Freudian slip. But Kendrick Lamar Duckworth deserves to be mentioned within the top 15. Teen rappers of all time list. 
Top top 20 is a given. We already know he's top 20. Top 15, I believe he deservedly has a place within that top 15. Top 10 is debatable. You can definitely have a debate as far as whether or not he deserves to be in the top 10. I think that's worth debating. Top 5, I don't know if he has enough longevity in order to be placed within top 5. Top 15. Top 10 is debatable, but top 15, he absolutely deserves that spot without question, hands down, full stop. And this album adds yet another badge or stamp of approval as to why he deserves to be in that all-time top 15 list. But what did you guys think about the album? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Did you like it as much as I did? Did you have a few things that you didn't like about it? Did you, did you think it was absolute trash? Like, what did you think about the album? Hit me up on all my socials at either cool for thought or DM underscore cool on multiple platforms. And let me know. Share your thoughts. Comment under the pod below if you can. Or hit me up personally on, the, on those apps and let me know what you think about Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And on that note, that about does it for this edition of Cool Radio. Oh, man, it's about an hour or so. I didn't even realize that we were going so hard with it. (laughs) But if you've listened up until this point, I really do appreciate it. I do appreciate the fact that you're able to stick around for this long for the album review because I've done album reviews in the past on full episodes of Cool Radio. But I feel like because this one had so many records on it and it was so dense and it was so comprised of so much content that I couldn't just make this a part of a regular cool radio broadcast, unless if I just want to give you the cliff notes. I really want to break this down and do a deep dive on how amazing of a project that this was from Kendrick Lamar and is already, you know, no doubt an early candidate for a rap album of the year and quite possibly could be a run-in for best album of the year as a whole as well. So we'll see if it gets to that point. But nonetheless, uh, that about does it for this edition of Cool Radio. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, hit me up on all my socials, um, at Cool for Thought or at DM underscore Cool. And also, you can listen to this pod on SoundCloud, on Google Play, as well as Spotify. And like you guys already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. And once again, it's your man, DM. Cool. And we out.